It's time for episode 501 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where episodes are legion. That's a little Star Wars joke for you ahead of Star May 4th. My name is Dan Moore, and I'm joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my co-host, my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons & Dragons on the internet together. It is the one and only Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I am doing well today, Dan, although I got to tell you, given my religious upbringing, anytime someone says Legion, it freaks me out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's a, it's a different sort of connotation. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but this is, of course, the show where we invite on two fantastic guests to discuss tech topics with us. To my left this week, it is the executive director of Rebellion Pack and the number two Princess Peach speedrunner of the world, Brianna Wu. Welcome back, Bri. Why did the man sit on the clock? Because he wanted to be on time. <laughs> Actually, I'm sitting on a clock right now. How did you know? Oh, this is uncomfortable. Um, it's it's how I it's how I pay attention. Joining us as well to my left, it's the video game. It is a video game veteran for almost half a century, as well as the author of Code Is Just. It's Shahid Kamal Ahmad. Welcome back. Great to be here again. All right, let me kick things off today. Apple and Google have announced an open standard to avoid unwanted tracking by products like AirTags, these little Bluetooth tracking tiles. Uh, my question is, is this going to be an effective way to cur- curtail the risk of these devices? Or is it more of a too little, too late situation uh, where the, the horse is out of the barn? Brianna, why don't we start with you? I have a quick story to tell. Uh, so I rented a Porsche Boxster uh, for the last two weeks. I was at Disney, and the woman I rented it from had a uh, AirTag on her keychain. I got approximately 4,300 messages on my iPhone alerting me that I was being tracked by an AirTag that I did not own. This system seems really robust to me in the activation that it has. So uh, from my personal experience with this, I think it alerts you if an AirTag is on your person that you have not personally authorized. So I think this system is actually a lot safer uh, than it has been widely reported. I had a family friend who is actually planning on going to Disney um, next week now, and they were asking me, hey, I was thinking about putting an AirTag into my child's shoe, like the insole of the shoe. Um, would that be a good way of keeping track of them, like if they you know, were, were taken or something like that? And I, uh, in, in sort of talking through it with them, we both came to the realization that there's every chance that, you know, in God forbid, a world where a child is taken and they are with this, uh, person, that that person might be alerted relatively soon, maybe not. We don't really know about the fact that there is an air tag traveling on their person, which sort of goes against the reason that the, that they wanted to have this technology in the first place. So I, you know, and, and trying to read through everything and seeing the, the clarity that's there, and then also the um, sort of purposeful obfuscation of how quickly it will alert someone. All of it is, is 
unclear and I think in a good way, but it was fascinating to kind of see it from the different perspective of, well, actually, I want to use this and it's for a good reason, but it goes against kind of what Apple has made AirTags to be. And so it resulted in the person needing to look elsewhere at some of the, um, eh, I guess, shadier is fair, shadier options that are out there that don't have these protections in place. Uh, I'm curious to hear, Shahid, your perspective. Well, I think it's the atomic energy of personal location security. You know, you can't uninvent it and it's got some benefits and it's got some really, really dangerous and dark downsides that not many of us want to talk about. From a purely prosaic level, I have a pair of AirPods. They're always alerting me, telling me that the owner can see them. I am the owner, which is a bug that seemingly been around for a while and is never going to get fixed. And the only way I was able to get around it was to get rid of the AirPods. I eventually smashed them in frustration. It was actually accidentally and then deliberately. I thought, <laughs> well, what the hey? And then bought a new pair and it's been fine since. But I tried to give my AirPods Max to my daughter and she's now getting the alerts, even though I deregistered it from my account and so on. So I think in the old days, you know, the AOL Silver Surfers, used to have real issues with financial security and getting scammed. And now I think we're in an era of personal security issues because of the internet, because of these connected devices. And we just need to be really, really careful. I think too often technology errs on the side of like, this is so great and think of all the benefits and it doesn't think about any of the possible downsides. And so I'm heartened that at least in this case, Apple has constantly sort of iterated on trying to improve its responsibility here, but it hasn't it's in some ways, I want to say overcorrected, but it's thought a lot about the downsides and then less so about some of the conveniences in terms of owners of these things getting annoyed. And the balance is always tricky, right? Like trying to find a middle ground between those two things because you'd much rather have it be annoying and not used for terrible purposes than to be used for terrible purposes and not annoying. Um, so I am heartened that they're working with other vendors in this in this area to sort of provide a all-inclusive solution, hopefully, um, something that does find that balance. But it is definitely something that as you know technology has become more and more personal something that we end up thinking a lot about is what are the downsides of all this tech that we carry with us all the time so i'm glad that they're doing it but it does feel a little bit like you know <laughs> this this ship has sailed to a certain degree and these things are out there and we shouldn't be scrambling to come up with them after the fact trying to figure out like oh no how do we lock all these things down and solve all these problems that really needs to be baked in pretty thoroughly from the beginning so Oh, well. Uh, but thanks for your thoughts on that. It's an interesting topic to discuss. Let's move on to our second topic, which comes from Brianna. There's been a real uh, competitor to Twitter that seems to have emerged in the last few days. Uh, that is Blue Sky. I'm on it. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, but before I voice my own thoughts on it, I wanted to ask uh, the entire panel, uh, is this Blue Sky or is it Blue Scam? Do you think this is going to be yet another uh, social media network that we talk about for a week and then disappears forever? Micah, what do you think? So it was interesting seeing, you know, Mastodon kick off in the way that it did. Uh, it started to, for me, it seemed to gain traction whenever the third party apps came out that made it feel like it was Twitter. And you heard a lot of conversation about, oh, now that this feels like Twitter, now I could sort of start to see myself um, using this platform regularly, uh, regularly posting, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that I'm experiencing with Blue Sky 
is because it is born of Twitter and has sort of that that Twitter like in energy to it. Uh, there's excitement about it being a replacement and seeing how easy it has been for folks to onboard onto Blue Sky and how it feels familiar and how many of the, the features are the same that you would experience as a parallel there. I don't think it's Blue Scam, but I do think it's too early to say, yes, uh, this will be the next uh, Twitter. This will take off because I've been excited about these different platforms in the past, and then they end up sort of fizzling out. So uh, we shall see. But I do have um, I've got Blue Sky feels about Blue Sky. Uh, Shahid, what about you? I think it's a bit Schrodinger's techopolypse about the whole thing. You know, whenever there's an incumbent that seems to be on the verge of collapse or implosion, all these opportunists pop up seemingly from nowhere. And some are incumbents already, but were much smaller, which is the case with Mastodon, using similar or slightly alternative technology, you know, in Mastodon's case, a bit more federated. And then sometimes someone decides, well, you know what, this is a great opportunity for us to tear up the rule book, start with a much more modern tech stack and see what we can build. But none of that matters if you don't capture enough of the user base so that it becomes viral quickly. So that initial velocity is really, really hard to track, especially when it's closed off because it's invite only for a while. So if it can survive the invite only period and scale really quickly, I think it's got a real chance because there are a lot of people I used to love following who are no longer on Twitter. And I find that uh, very sad indeed. It's like getting to your 70s and 80s and seeing all your friends around you pass on. Not fun. Uh, my feeling about this is a little bit like the feeling we just had about uh, the discussion about AirTags, which is, you know, Shad mentioned, you know, like trying to get enough people to get the sort of that viral momentum, that first like uh, critical mass. Um, but <laughs> a lot of people talk about how great the, the feeling is on Blue Sky. This is like Twitter on the old days. And I have to sit there thinking, well, A, it's invite only. And B, like doesn't matter how good your technology is the upside and downside of social media is people <laughs> and unfortunately they're ev- they're on every social network right like you need to have enough people but the problem is the more people you get the more the experience tends to degrade because you get things like more arguments spam bots all this stuff starting to happen and i think that's a big challenge of this i'm not sure what makes this system better in the long run or like you know basically from following in twitter's footsteps both for good and for ill so i have reserved a lot of judgment on it though i've been sort of like lurking on blue sky for the last few days uh, where i just feel like right now it's not in a place where it's representative of what it would eventually be because of the closed off nature of it so i think it's a bit of a um, potentially an echo chamber right now i also feel like there's a little bit of a scooby-doo meme here where like you know you pull the the mask off the bad guy and it's like oh it's still kind of twitter people <laughs> uh, and, I, and i don't feel great about that like certainly jack dorsey is has his own culpability parts to play in the downfall of twitter and i don't feel like putting all my trust in him again is necessary the best idea so i am in it with a healthy dose of skepticism i think part of that is i have really enjoyed my mastodon experience even though it isn't everybody you know isn't replicating exactly what i had at twitter but i've gotten enough out of that community that i've still tended to enjoy it but yeah i mean i staked out my domain name uh or my username over at blue sky so we'll see what comes of that Bree want to wrap us up 
Yeah, I hear you. I think, um, you know, from my point of view, I think y'all didn't hit on what is the key problem at Blue Sky, uh, which is it's the moderation, stupid, you know, it's, uh, you know, the the vision at Blue Sky is that there's not going to be centralized moderation, like to a certain extent, uh, they they want to rely on, on community labeling, which means, you know, let's say Mike and I have a difference of opinion, we're really strong on Nintendo versus Sega. So I'm over here. <laughs> Nintendo land and I can moderate certain keywords and phrases and, and ban certain attitudes. Like if he's talking about streets of rage and, you know, he can do the same back to me. Um, that's the, the central paradigm that they seem to be going for. Um, and that raises a lot of questions, right? So if you're saying, okay, all the people over here that don't want to interact with Nazis and are counting on people to go through and like label, which accounts are Nazis and ban accounts for like, you know, Nazi kind of content, that's a very expensive proposition to moderate an entire social media network. And there's no funding apparatus for that, right? So, um, you know, while it's certainly something I would pay $8 a month for, I'm extremely unconvinced that like centralized moderation is not the way forward. You know, I think this uh, really speaks to the weakness I've seen in Silicon Valley. You know, people come forward and they're like, I want X tech or Y tech. You know, I've got this great like Bitcoin vision for the future. And it's like people just want social media, a place to hang out with friends without a-holes around, right? And I think that's the the real flaw in blue sky. And I think we're going to end up right back to where Twitter is. Um, you know, all respect to Jay, but this is being run by former uh, crypto person. And I think it shows with the uh, the design that they're going for. So uh, count me. I'm enjoying it for now. Uh, I do not want to stay on anything owned by Elon Musk, but I think it's time to uh, be very skeptical about this. All right. That's two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Traceroute. The inner workings of the internet are fascinating, from fiber optic cables to servers, routers, middleware, and all the physical interconnections. But where do we find the all-important human layer in that tech stack? The award-winning Traceroute podcast is back with its second season to answer that question with some of the most insightful and brilliant technologists of our time. The Traceroute podcast is a tech podcast unlike any you've heard. This season features new co-hosts and new stories about the inner workings of our digital world. Each episode of the Traceroute podcast will peel back layers of the stack to find the stories about hardware's very real effect on human lives to answer questions like, where are the traces of humanity in the digital world? How do hardware connections lead to human connections? Have we become detached from the tech that supports our daily lives? What happens when you make tech so accessible and easy that everyone can create something? I listened to the first episode of this season, which is called When the Lights Go Out, and I actually thought it was pretty fascinating because it talks about basically how do you develop technology that will last not only for years, but for decades or sometimes centuries? How do you deal with really basic situations like, I'm not sure we'll have power, uh, you know, it gets into almost a post-apocalyptic feeling with like how do you tell time right like how do you deal with time in, in, in a world where maybe technology is not as reliable as it once was how do you able to build all these devices with materials that'll even just last that long it's a really interesting question so listen and subscribe to the new season of the trace route podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts check out the trace route podcast now and our thanks to trace route for their support of this show and all of relay fm all right, halftime is over. Micah, over to you. 
Yeah, Google announced this morning that they have, are officially supporting passkeys on um, individual accounts. You can go into your settings and actually enable passkeys, uh, and then they're rolling out to Google Workspace accounts later. Um, passkeys, of course, are a FIDO alliance uh, sort of feature that allows you to log in without using a password. My question is uh, have you used uh, passkey login on the few sites that have supported it up to this point? And what are your thoughts on moving to passwordless logins? Shahid, we'll start with you. I don't know how Google is going to implement this. I would imagine it's going to be not a million miles away from the whole secure enclave concept that Apple kind of put into the public sphere and you use the double click on the home button to activate some biometric bypass of wallets and so on. If it's anything like that, amazing. I'm all for it, especially if they're working with uh, with FIDO on this. So, I, yeah, I'm tentatively, really cautiously optimistic. This feature cannot come for me soon enough. Passwords are terrible. And the advantages of passkeys are so big, both for users and for the companies supporting them, that it just feels like a no-brainer. The biggest challenge is it's change, and people don't like change. Um, but you know, a future where I don't have to like send myself email password resets or necessarily even use a super complicated piece of software to make sure I've stored all this information carefully, I'm here for that. My biggest concern with passkeys right now is none of the built-in systems provide easy ways to share them. So for example, if my wife and I have a login that we share for a service, I can airdrop that passkey to her, which is great, but that gets old really quick if we have a ton of stuff that we share credentials for. Um, so some of the third-party softwares like you know, 1Password might come up with solutions for this. Obviously, they already offer sharing for passwords and the like, but I feel like this needs this is kind of a table stakes feature because at least even if you didn't use 1Password before, you could copy and paste your password into like a you know text message or something with somebody who is not physically present with you. You can't do that with a passkey because it's a super long block of text. You can't even see it really in your in your passkey manager so uh you know that is a challenge that i think needs to be addressed and you know comes down to sort of that security and convenience angle uh, as well but i'm very pleased that google has adopted this and i think that'll only continue to spur adoption of this across the web and again can't come too soon brie what about you no, I, I share the majority opinion here. It's it's clearly the underlying technology uh, makes a lot of sense. Where I'm nervous are the edge cases. A really good example. What happens if I'm trying to log in? Uh, let's say Dan, I'm over at your house and I'm trying to log into something. Um, you know, they've they've thought ahead with a really good feature, right? Which is uh, I can have a, a QR code basically show up on your uh, personal PC that I can scan that with my local device and will communicate by you know something like Bluetooth LE or a local Wi-Fi network and authenticate that I'm there. Then the question comes like, well, how can we really make sure Brianna's there, right? Is that is that vulnerable? Because if you're not really checking for locality there, um, you know, you can fall for like QR code scams over the over email, right? And trying to share it with someone and give codes to them. So I think it's one of these things where the the technology makes a lot of sense, the implementation 
as always, is really the really big question here. What happens when people lose devices, right? Because we want the, the hash to be done on a local device. But what happens when I buy the new newest iPhone? Like, is this going to a server? Is this showing up there? Like, those are all really important technical questions that you've got to make really, really bulletproof. So I think it's going to happen. I'm glad to see everyone adopting it. Uh, but I still want to know more about these edge cases. The edge cases are what I do have concerns about. I mean, literally weekly, what I do is get questions from people who are using their technology and who need help with, you know, something going wrong. And so I'm always trying to to keep that in mind when I'm trying out new technology and when uh, on occasion I get to sort of provide feedback to folks who are creating new features like this. It is you know, on the on the face of it, very exciting to be able to use a passwordless login feature. I, I set this up this morning with my Google account, my personal Google account, and I was able to just touch the fingerprint sensor on this keyboard, and that created the passkey login. Uh, very handy. And then if I needed to log in from the phone, as Bree was talking about, the QR code is there uh, to do that. But yes, I couldn't help but think about someone um, thinking that okay, now the way that I log into anything. Thing is by using a QR code, someone pops up a QR code on the screen and it does something other than what is intended. Um, that then makes it a less secure, a potentially less secure option. So yeah, there's, there's a lot that needs to get ironed out. Um, and I also think that sort of the way that both Apple and Google and in some cases the Fido Alliance have talked about it is still too vague or not, not even that it's vague, no, rather it's it's that it's so overly technical and we need to have a very simple, easy to understand, but thorough uh, tour of what pass keys can be. Uh, thank you all for your answers on that. Let us go to our next topic, which comes from Shahid. Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, who's often referred to as the godfather of AI, he's quit Google. He's terrified of what he thinks is the existential risk of AI, and he's not sure that Google are the best stewards of AI anymore. And this, interestingly, is the same position adopted by Elon Musk. So my question to you wonderful people is, are you hopeful or fearful of the future and why? We're in a real good news, bad news uh, move today, or upside down. So maybe, yeah. This, I mean, I keep coming back to your atomic energy analogy because this feels very much like positions staked out by people like Oppenheimer or other members of the Manhattan Project post uh, the use of the atomic bombs. Is like maybe this this thing we created ain't so great, but we also created it, and now it's there, and you can't uninvent it. Um, so. I do want to take slight issue with Elon Musk. I know he came out with his letter talking about we should put guardrails on this. I'm extremely skeptical of that. I think everything Elon Musk does is only to serve Elon Musk. And if he did that, it was to make everybody else slow down so he could catch up. And since then, there have been announcements that he's working on AI stuff. So take from that what you will. That said, I think, you know, it's a matter of... of figuring out how we're going to deal with it. We talked earlier about consequences of technology and the development of new technologies. And this is another case where I feel like we forged straight ahead and we didn't really think about the consequences of it until it's like, well, it's out there and it's too late. And so now we're in this unenviable position of going back and sort of building up all these guardrails and these safeties around this technology, which are going to have holes that people, you know, poke through. Um, and, I don't want to be totally in fear of it. And I feel like in general, I'm not super fearful of it um, more than I am just sort of fearful of people's responses to it. Um, 
but nor am I sort of like, oh, AI will save us all. I, I, it's, it's this great thing descended from the heavens. I feel like there's some value to it as a tool. Um, but a lot of the things both fearful and uh, enthusiastic about it are overblown uh, in terms of what it does right now. But we are in a period of tremendous change and everything is so unsettled. It's really hard to tell how it's going to shake out right now. But I do think there are reasons to be cautious and reasons to be more optimistic about it, um, to, to play both sides, I guess. <laughs> Bree, where do you come down on it? There has never been an instance in all of human history of us finding a technology that is genuinely useful for making money and us making the decision to put it aside because it's too dangerous. That mm. does not happen. <laughs> it will not happen. So, you know, I work in politics and I'm really urging everyone to just be realistic here. Your opinion here does not matter. What matters is the regulation we can push for around this because it's going to come no matter what the technical people uh, think in this world. Let me paint you a nightmare picture of something I could do today if I wanted to. I run a super PAC. I could go raise, say, a million dollars, and I could hook that into a ChatGPT client, and I could build something to automatically generate ads, stoking up fear against a political opponent, not fact-check it at all, just generate what I think people want to hear based on the information I can get from them uh, from a third-party service like Zeta. And I can deluge Facebook with those ads and put it out there and make Cambridge Analytica look like the Girl Scouts. That is an entirely realistic thing that I could do today that I think is probably going to happen in 2024. If you thought disinformation was bad in 2016 and 2020, it is going to be so much worse. And what makes me very frustrated and very angry is that the United States seems to have ceded any role in the world in regulating technology. Most regulation is coming from Europe these days. So if we want to have a stake in shaping how technology is uh, affecting our lives in our democracy, we need to get off our butts. We need to demand better representation in Congress. And we've got to engage thoughtfully on this in a way that's not just another left versus right screaming match. We are failing. And this is an existential threat to democracy, in my view. I don't really have anything to add. And I do often find myself in the situation talking about this, this stuff, realizing that my, you know, little playabouts in chat GPT to, you know, make funny poems is not the, the, the larger issue here. And, uh, even just the other day, all I wanted to do was have it try to convince me that an ice cream cone with two scoops of chocolate ice cream is a sandwich. The way that the, that it generated a response was very clever because it put forth this argument that made it seem like if you didn't agree with the argument, it made you more closed minded, it made you less creative, it made you less versatile. And those are traits that people tend to want to be. And so kind of digging into that and, and looking at how this system can be used to help shape and change people's arguments to get through with a specific group. That was one of the times where I thought, uh, this uh, this is ripe for abuse, and this would be very concerning. All right, Shahid, why don't you round us out here? If you think back to when cars were first introduced, you used to have 
a man walking in front of the car, <laughs> waving a flag. That was a regulation at the time. And since then, we've had many more. Can you imagine a world in which aeroplanes or robots didn't have any regulation? And yet, when these things go wrong, even in the absolute worst case, take, for example, planes crashing into the Twin Towers where 3,000 people lost their lives. But AI has the potential to cause far worse damage on a longer term basis, on a scale we could never potentially recover from. So absolutely, we need to regulate. Absolutely, we need to start thinking about the worst cases now. Absolutely, this can't be treated as just a little piece of technology that's, that's harmless. The potential is increasing. The potential for good and harm is increasing exponentially. It is almost like atomic energy, the rate of progress, in the same way that an atomic reaction begins to create exponential amounts of energy in a very short space of time. AI seems to be doing the same. Um, we need to do exactly what Bree is telling us we need to do. That is four topics. Now we got just enough time for a bonus topic. Uh, so let me ask you, you're at a traditional diner, at least here in the US. What do you what do you order, Bree? Oh, man, if it's a traditional Southern diner, yeah, I got to go with the fried pickles. You know, it's very hard to get decent fried pickles here in Boston. It's our biggest uh, failure as a society, in my view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go black cup of coffee, hash browns, and a veggie omelet. Yeah, six egg garden omelet, coffee with half and half, a full stack of blueberry pancakes with Ooh. maple syrup some waffles with chocolate and peanut butter, and anything else you can throw at me. I also, I concur with the pancakes, blueberry pancakes, awesome side of bacon. Uh, give me a cup of hot tea. Not the best thing to get in a diner, but I'll take it. You got to cut that sweetness somewhere. And, you know, I, I'm tempted to try the French toast, but I'm a French toast snob, and I always feel like I'll just get disappointed. So give me those blueberry <laughs> pancakes. Thanks for that. Hey, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. Just go to relay.fm slash clockwise. You can sign up for just $5 per month or $50 a year, and you'll help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we talk about blogs. And with that, we have reached the end of this week's episode, and all that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest, Brianna Wu. Always a pleasure to have you on. Keep crackalacking. And Shahid Kamal Ahmad, thank you so much for being here. My absolute pleasure. And Micah will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>